God's Production Company. Praise the Lord, everybody. This is Memorial Day weekend. This is a weekend where we take time to celebrate those who have given service to the nation, to the cities, even to our local society. We thank God for each of them. And some have paid the ultimate sacrifice and they gave their life so that we might continue on living in the freedom in which we have. We would be remiss if we did not take a moment to just say thank you for your great service to this nation. Thank you for your service to us. Now, typically we associate Memorial Day with service in the military and rightfully so, but the military are not the only uh, people that are serving our community. And while I am a former military member and very thankful for my time in service there, I believe in service and I continued in service in the public sector uh, working as a sergeant for the police department here in our city. So I want to also thank those that may sometimes be missed and those are all the public service workers that allow our communities to run. From the garbage collector who is serving the community to the police officer and even to the politician. We thank each of you for your service and your sacrifice for doing everything you can to make the community in which we live the best that it can be. So we do salute you and we remember and we do say thank you, especially to the officers who have also paid the ultimate sacrifice to their families. We say thank you for allowing us to receive such great service from your loved one who laid down their life, even in an example like Christ, for another. For there is no greater love than this. So we say thank you. We honor you, we salute you. And for those that have paid the ultimate price, we take a moment of pause to remember your great sacrifice to this nation and to our community. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Have fun with family. Live together in a spirit of love and peace one for another and enjoy the fellowship that is family while we still can. We salute each and every one of you that has joined us here on this Sunday morning. We just thank God for you. We're excited about the continuing uh, this series. We are uh, empowered to confront culture. We are looking forward to God continuing to open up uh, doors of wisdom and understanding and clarity. I don't want to uh, be before you long. I don't want to wear your patience. I just want to impart into you um, some more information in reference to what we have been talking about over the last few weeks. 
and that is this equalization of truth and the transfer of power through the gift of Holy Ghost that is embodied in us that we might function as God's mission in the earth. God is functioning in the earth, his plan and purpose through each and every one of us. And last week we talked about or kind of built the framework around the place of transfer, the place where the business transaction of transfer takes place, the marketplace. And I want to talk to you today about this place of transfer in a little bit more depth. And I want to uh, talk to you about the experience that Jacob had. Jacob's experience in the wilderness is a good illustration of the transforming power of being in a place of divine transfer. You see, Jacob was fleeing from the murderous wrath of his brother Esau, and you know that there were some family issues there. Uh, Jacob stops for a night in uh, a barren place, as scripture teaches us, in the wilderness where he had only a rock for a pillow. And he was settling down to sleep, and it was a sleep that he never expected to have where he was going to have an encounter with God. And I want to direct your attention to the book of Genesis, my favorite book of the Bible. Genesis, the 28th chapter, the 12th through the 17th verse. And it should be coming on the screen for you to see, but I'm going to read it for you. And the word of God declares, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. It is possible for God to be doing something and we be asleep to what it is he is doing. This is the, the, the condition that Jacob was in. This was Jacob's very situation. You see, when he went to sleep, he thought that he was alone in a desert. He dreamed a dream that reveals something that's totally and starkly different than what his experience was when he first laid his head on that rock to rest. The Lord appears to Jacob in his dream and he gave him a marvelous promise of future prosperity and fruitfulness that would bless not just himself, but everyone on the earth, which is the truest form of blessing increase prosperity peace that flows in and then through you to others this is the true definition of blessing is it any wonder that jacob woke up in complete awe and fear of the lord after having such an experience listen to what jacob said he says 
This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now remember what I've told you. The gate of the city is where business took place. It is where the transaction of business, the shifting of property, possession, power would take place. It was in the gate of the city. Now think about what I've identified for you as the place where power is transacted being in the gate and Jacob's description of the place that he was in calling it the gate of heaven. Jacob recognized this place of, uh, of, of a very divine encounter as being the very house of God and the gate of heaven. He was in the very place where transaction was taking place. The house of God is the place of divine transfer and divine transaction. The place where transformation is uh, formed. Jacob's experience completely transformed his life. He went from being a conniving schemer, which is the very meaning of his name, to becoming a man to whom the Lord himself would give the name Israel, which means Prince of God. In order for this spiritual connection, uh, you know, this you know, identifying with the natural, there has to be a point of entry. There has to be a place where the spirit and the natural convene. There has to be this location where everything comes together. Now, getting something from heaven to earth requires a gate, a place of transaction or transfer. Well, the house of God as described in scripture, is that gate and today's house of God is you and I because we, together, the church, is the place, are the place where the Lord dwells. We then become the gateway through which God's divine transfer of power can be released so that there comes a transformation to everything, not just in us and of us, but even that which is around us. We become the infection that infects our surroundings. We must be careful not to be asleep, though, like Jacob was, and miss seeing when God is moving. You see, in his dream, Jacob sees a ladder, and in the ladder, angels are ascending and descending. So the next time we see the phrase angels ascending and descending in the Bible, it occurs in reference to Jesus in John, the first chapter, and the 51st verse. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. He touches both heaven and he touches earth. Now, a ladder is something that we use when we need something uh, that's higher than what we can reach. So we get a ladder and we step on a ladder and we climb up the ladder to reach what we could not reach without it. Now, Jesus 
He is the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder who helps us to reach something we could never reach before or reach without him. He becomes the ladder that connects heaven and earth where angels ascend and descend. He becomes the point of transaction that establishes the gate of heaven so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Now our walls our salvation. Our gates open up with praise and he establishes the church as a place of divine transaction. Now I want to clue you in on the power of truth because when the time is right, God releases a word of truth because everything that God says is true and all God's words are true. And with that release comes the equalization of the truth, which is loosed into our atmosphere. And this means that whoever works with the truth has the divine authority to shift power from one place to another. They have the capacity to make a power shift. We live in a day of shifting power. Why is power shifting all over the world? Well, because God is speaking and a divine transaction has taken place. Yet much of the church is like Jacob who is asleep, not realizing that we are in a season of power shifting as never before seen in human history. Let me give you an example. The civil rights movement in America was a tremendous power shift because those who were uh, you know, thought to be powerless moved the mountains of law and social convention and changed a system that was devised against them. Our tendency is to think that power resides only in the majorities or in some uh, authoritative position or in the uh, accumulation of money. But truth reveals that it does not. Most of the people that were involved in the civil rights movement possessed none of these things. They were not people of position. They were not people of financial prowess. They didn't possess these things. What they did possess was the source of real truth. By acting upon the truth that they possessed, there was a shift or a transfer of power that occurred and it, 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 it lay a hold of the social landscape of America and the social landscape of America was changed forever. Now, at the time, many who uh, accompanied the traditional seat of power in America opposed the civil rights movement. You know, those people that we um, ascribe power to, you know, people with money, people with or in position, people with some level of prestige or influence, and uh, people that are connected to well-organized political machines or political parties. Uh, these people did everything they could to stop this civil rights movement. And uh, as they did, so many uh, unofficial power groups, such as the KKK and other uh, white supremacist organizations who fought the movement tooth and nail, uh, joined 
joined in. Arrest, intimidation, terrorization, outright violence were used in, in an effort to contain this movement, but it came to no avail. Why? Because the time was right. A word of truth had been released. Power shifted to the powerless and the heart of American society as a result was transformed. When power is released, there's always going to be a um, bucking against it. But what makes the difference? Well, one side was working with truth and the other side was working with a lie. See, ultimately, lies will never outlast the truth. They may hold sway for a period of time while people are yet sleeping to what God is doing or playing like those children that I talked about uh, last week, uh, you know, who are just running around in the marketplace, the place where transactions of power are taking place above their heads. But all it takes for change to occur is for someone who has ears to hear to pick up on the truth that is heard that has been released and act on the very thing that has been declared. Millions of ordinary someones heard that truth and said, just like and along with Martin Luther King, I have a dream. They went forth in the power of that very dream. And the lies that were entrenched in American culture could no longer stand against the dream that they had because their dream was connected to the source of power, and that is truth. Mahat, uh, Mahatma Gandhi was in a similar type of situation. Although he was not a Christian, Gandhi uh, was deeply impressed by the example of the holy life of Jesus and by moral force of his teachings. He was also a lawyer trained in the legal tradition of the British. Now remember the British are the governing body of his nation and uh, it was that government and society where thoroughly uh, socialized with Christian moral and social values and Gandhi heard the same truth that energized Martin Luther King a, a generation later and he knew that with organized nonviolent civil disobedience India could be free from British rule and gain it's very independent and he was right why because truth was on his side you see <clears throat> let me let you in on a secret because this is something that's frustrating people in the society that we live in now even in the season that we're in with such a stark wave of violence across this nation the truth is evil will never overcome good this is something we have to understand evil will never overcome good you see the gates of hell will never prevail over the gates of heaven so truth can't be defeated by beating it down blowing it up or locking it in a jail truth cannot be killed all truth is God's truth his word is truth and the Bible says that God's word will never return to him void but when it comes back it shall have accomplished everything 
that he pleased and not only will it just accomplish it, <laughs> the Bible declares it's going to prosper in the very thing that he assented to. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 55 and 11. When God says that he is ready to shift the thing, all we have to do is hear it and get with it. Because I believe that we are in a season where a generational shift of power is moving all around us, even if you can't see it. We can't hear it uh, uh, unless we tune in with spiritual ears. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Revelations 2 and 7. You ought to read the Bible. It's an amazing uh, correlation of scripture that will bring life and truth to you. It's time for us to stop acting like children, thinking like slaves in Egypt when we are living in a generation, a season of generational transfer. When God says, I'm getting ready to transfer, uh, transform cities, I'm getting ready to transform wealth, I'm getting ready to transform generations, uh, we can't afford to be sitting around like children with no understanding of the time and season that we are living in. Even the four leprous men a few weeks ago that I talked about asked the question, why sit here until we die? We must act while the anointing is on us. We must move or strike while the hammer is hot. We need to shift while the shifting is happening. We have to get into the water while the water is yet troubled because you can't get your healing if the water is not troubled. But the Bible declared in John 5, 1 through 4 that if you would just get into the water while the water was troubled, oh, your healing was yours. You see, power is being transferred and we need to be a part of what we hope to, of what we hope is going on so that we can transform the culture that we are in. A generational shift is coming to the people of God. I believe it. I see it. I can hear it in the spirit. It's already happening in, in the secular marketplace and the church needs to understand the time and the season that we are in. In recent years, the, uh, the focus in secular American culture has shifted from idealism to realism. Years ago, Americans watched television for idealism. We wanted to see shows that portrayed life the way we wanted life to be. We, we watched shows that uh, portrayed families the way we wanted families to be. Relationships the way we wanted relationships to be. Uh, you know, uh, maybe this might be a little bit old for you, but some of the shows that I grew up on in, in that season of life, like The Brady Bunch with nine people living harmoniously in one house. We watched stuff like the Partridge family uh, happily traveling in that multicolored bus across the nation singing everywhere that they went. We watched shows like Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver where the father was always first off there, always wise, and they always wore a tie. I'll never understand the tie bit. But the, the mother was always sensitive 
The mother was always compassionate. We watch shows like Adam 12 with two nice, white, clean-cut police officers doing a nice job getting along with everybody, including the criminal. We wanted to see all of life's problems neatly resolved in a 30-minute time segment. But there's a generational shift that has occurred. Now our focus is on realism. Instead of Fantasy Island, we have Survivor. Instead of Gilligan's Island, we we have lost. Instead of Ozzy and Harriet, we have the Osbournes. Instead of American Bandstand, we have American Idol. Instead of Adam 12, we have cops. Car commercials used to be focused on the images of shining vehicles that uh, were in showrooms in perfect condition. Then the car companies discovered that Americans are not interested in what the vehicle looks like on the showroom floor. What we really want to see when we look at it is what the vehicle looks like on the road. So now the, the ads and the car commercials and the car shows, uh, all the trucks and the SUVs uh, are shown bouncing across dirt roads and across uh, paved highways, driving through storms and uh, climbing mountains, getting splattered with mud and, and all this kind of stuff. Today, we Americans demand nitty-gritty, down-dirty realism. There's a generational shift that has occurred. Life is not a showroom. Sometimes, if I'm going to be honest with you, life gets dirty. Reality is dirty. Rarely can we solve our problems in 30 minutes. Rarely can we solve crime in 30 minutes. Yet in an age of realism, many churches still live and teach and preach in a fantasy land of idealism with no knowledge or recognition that a shift has taken place in the society in which we have been planted. And once we truly begin to understand the power of our product, we will stop trying to preach to the Brady's and the partridges and to the cleavers and to the Nelsons and start reaching the real people who live in real families with all their real problems and their real dysfunctions. Let me just let you in on a secret. I'm not telling you something that the world has not already recognized. When we talk about this shift from idealism to realism, you can see it in one of the most uh, you know, popular shows of its time that uh, uh, starred Will Smith. Um, what was the name of that show? Um, uh, Will, Will Smith's show. Fresh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, popular show. It starts out with a rap story about him coming into problems but then being shifted off to his wealthy uncle who would become a father to him because his father had run out on him and it was this real wholesome show, funny, it had gritty moments and, you know, but it was built around family being taken in and received and accepted. But when they did the remake... I can't even watch the remake. It, 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 it just messes me up 
because of what I remembered from the original show. But there was a difference and a shift from the idealism that was in the original Fresh Prince to the realism. I live the real. I don't want to watch the real. Contrary to what many in our culture believe, we Christians have a four-wheel driving, getting through the mud, take a licking and keep on ticking kind of faith that always gets us to where God is sending us. We have a faith that can be stepped on, but it's a faith that will never be stopped. A faith that can be slammed against a wall and keep on coming back. We've got that rocky kind of faith that no matter how many times we get knocked on our butt, we still get up and get in the fight. And the folks in our secular culture need to know about this kind of faith. We need to know about this kind of faith. Oh, there's so much more I want to give you. Let me just give you a taste this, about this faith, this faith that is accompanied with authority. One reason that people in the secular culture are not attracted to the church is because they perceive Christians as people of faith, but people who lack Authority And uh, the absence of authority makes the church illegitimate or at the very least irrelevant in the eyes of culture. And even though this assessment of Christianity is erroneous at its core, it is the perception of the culture based upon what they see considering that so many Christians uh, that, they, that the culture sees and engages with with and has a relationship with on a daily basis or no, uh, live as though they have no power or authority at all. The lifestyle of believers and non-believers alike seem to parallel too often. Whether it's because of their ignorance about their faith due to biblical illiteracy or erroneous teaching in the church that they attend, these parallel Christian lives with little expectation or without expectation of God ever doing anything of significance in their lives past their own salvation as if the only thing that God came to do was save you. They readily anticipate future glory, but in heaven, they don't look for anything while we're still here on the earth. Powerless believers constitute powerless churches, and a powerless church will impress nobody. I don't know about you, but I'm not a powerless preacher. I don't know about you, but GMFC is not a powerless church. I don't know about you, but I stand upon upon the power of God. This is not the kind of faith that Jesus uh, taught or modeled. Authority permeated everything that he said, everything that he did. No one in his day ever saw anything like him and they noticed the difference. If you don't believe me, let's go to the word of God. Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 28th through the 29th verse says it like this. 
And it came to pass when Jesus had ended up these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them, watch this, as one having authority and not as the scribes. So when Jesus taught, it was immediately apparent that he was not speaking from some academic knowledge, uh, some acumen, uh, acumen of uh, scriptural reference without any authoritative or relational connection to the thing that he was declaring, but as an authoritative source or the word that he was declaring was declared with not just knowledge, Knowledge, but power as well. This is what we have to begin to accept as true for us. Jesus imparts the same authority, watch this, to the church implemented through the gift of the indwelling of Holy Ghost. This is why so many uh, uh, of our uh, uh, adversaries will try to cause you to believe that this is no longer the season of Holy Ghost. Because if Holy Ghost is uh, not alive in you, you cannot access what Holy Ghost possesses, and what Holy Ghost possesses is all truth of God. That's why God made it so Holy Ghost was not an earned thing, but a gifted thing that he embodies you with so that you can walk in the authority by which he has released into your hands. The problem with some of us who call ourselves believers is that we either don't know or we don't truly believe. And when you get a proper understanding of authority, it will produce faith in you that releases power in your life. Let me take you back to the word. Matthew 8, 5 through 13 says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Watch this. Here's the key. <clears throat> but speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Uh, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. I want you to think about it for a second. Just take a moment for a, a pause for the cause. If Jesus offered to, to come to your house, would you decline? But the centurion declined the invitation of Jesus to come to his house because he felt unworthy 
to have someone as righteous and as holy as Jesus enter his home. But what I want you to really see is this. This is the most important element that exists in this text and you need to grab a hold of it. The centurion did not need Jesus's physical presence in his house because he understood what authority was. He had soldiers who were subject to his authority and he was subject to the authority of the officers over him so he understood authority from both ends. He obeyed the commands of his superiors without question and those under him did likewise to his commands to them. It was because of this kind of understanding that the centurion could recognize the authority that was in Jesus. An authority that even extends into the realm of physical disease and this is why he said to Jesus speak the word only and my servant shall be healed you see his understanding of authority aroused in him a faith that confidently expected something to happen and that faith released power into the atmosphere and after marveling at the simplicity and depth of the centurion's faith Jesus said go thy way and as thou hast believed so be it done unto thee you know what happens next hey the centurion servant was healed that very same hour sometimes you simply need faith to release power for you but there will be times when God inspires your faith so he can release his power through you to benefit another who may or may not have the faith necessary but can be changed as a result of your faith encounter you see the centurion understood the power of a word spoken from a position of authority that you don't even have to be present where the word was spoken in order to receive the effects of that word you see those four leprous men at the gates of Samaria discovered the same truth faith informed by authority Bridges the gap of distance of time and space between a divine word spoken and our action in response to what has been declared. A word spoken from a place of authority shifts power even outside the realm of the one who was present to hear what was declared. You see, true power does not reside with those who hold high positions. Neither is it found with people of wealth or political influence. True power lies with the people who dare to take a step in line with the word that they have heard from God and pull it into their region. That is a real transfer of power. If our political leaders are listening and hearing me today, if you want to stop me the wave of violence in this city you've got to stop trying to do it in your authority in your power and you've got to 
to tune your ear into what God is saying and operate and function in what he has declared and then you will function from a real place of authority a real place of power and you will see a transformation in your community prayer releases power let me say that again prayer releases power when the people of God pray power begins to shift when the people of God pray power begins to shift let me leave you with this text Acts the 12th chapter the 1st through the 17th now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church and he killed James the brother of John with the sword and because he saw it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to take Peter also then were the days of unleavened bread and when he had apprehended him he put him in prison and delivered him to four quatorians uh, of soldiers to keep him intending after uh, Easter to bring him forth to the people now Peter therefore was kept in prison but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison and behold the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying arise up quickly and his chains fell off from his hands and the angel said unto him gird thyself and bind on thy sandals and so he did and he saith unto him cast thy garment about thee and follow me and he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel but thought he saw a vision and when they were past the first and second ward they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city which opened to them of his own accord and they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him and when Peter was come to himself he said now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came hearkening, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, thou art mad but she constantly affirmed that it was even so then said they it is his angel but Peter continued knocking and when they had opened the door and saw him they were astonished but he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said go show these things unto James and to the brethren 
and he departed and went into another place. Now Peter was in jail, but the church was praying. John's brother James had just been executed and it didn't look too good for Peter, but the church was praying. By all appearances, power laid in the hand of King Herod, but the church was praying. The church is the gate of heaven, the place of transaction where power is shifting from heaven to earth. The church was praying and power was shifting. It was in the middle of the night and Peter was asleep. It kind of reminds me of Jacob's experience. An angel appears in Peter's jail cell, smacks him upside the head and says, get up. Peter was in a place where power was shifting and he couldn't afford to sleep through it or he'd miss it. The angel led Peter to the gate which led to the city which opened by itself. Peter was so out of it that he thought all of it was just a vision. Nevertheless, he was walking in line with a word that had been even declared but he had not even heard it spoken. The word released from heaven because the church was praying. The word for Peter's deliverance was spoken and the gate to the city opened of its own accord because it was time for what was declared to happen. Why? Because the church was praying and the power was shifting. Peter makes his way to the house where the church had gathered to pray. They were astonished to see him which suggests to me that even though they were praying for the very deliverance of Peter they did not expect it so soon they did not expect it in the manner in which it came and after explaining what happened Peter went into hiding for a time you see the question becomes Herod had power or really did he have power because not long after Peter's miraculous deliverance Herod delivers a speech to the people of Tyre and Sidon his eloquence is so impressed them that they heaped praises on the king Acts 12 22 through 24 and the people have a shout or gave a shout saying it is the voice of God and not of a man and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost but the word of God grew and multiplied <coughs> you see King Herod the man who thought he had the power died at the hand of the Lord's angel but the word of God and the church that proclaimed it continued to grow and multiply. The church was praying and the power was shifting. If we want to see a change, 
to this wave of violence. The church needs to stop talking about putting money in our pockets and the church needs to get back on its knees and start to pray. The church needs to get back to a place where it is fasting and praying with an expectation that power is shifting in the atmosphere and the culture is going to be infected by the very power that's being loosed in us. Like Peter, we can be asleep when God is moving or we can wake up to what God is doing. And when we begin to walk and work in line with what he is doing, he will open the gates of our cities. A transfer of power will be made and the church will be empowered to engage and transform the secular culture with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once the power shifts, the gates of hell will not be able to stand and those that are held in bondage by the power of darkness will be led to the gate of light which will open of its own accord and they will step through it to their very freedom. When the church begins to pray you people of God have been empowered to change the culture but because too many of us are asleep the culture is getting worse and worse and worse if you want to see a change in your family in your life in your family's life in your surroundings in your community in your cities in your state in this nation tap into what God is saying and you as you work what he is saying will see dynamic change take place God bless you have a wonderful Sunday an amazing memorial weekend and know power is in the atmosphere waiting for the believer to tap into what God has declared change the culture as you've been empowered to do. God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.